<laughs> Testing. One, two, one, two. Yeah. It sounds kind of loud. Sounds okay now. I don't know how does it sound. Good. You can't. You can't hear it at all. <laughs> That's okay. But I could hear it, and it's getting stuff. Yeah, it's okay. If you. Um, are we ready? <laughs> I hear her coming, like she's almost said. Yeah, just give me 30 seconds. You don't know how? You click on the the transition scene, or the countdown, the purple one. Oh, it, if you guys want to get a head start, we're going to be reading from Genesis 3. So, yeah. God bless you all. It is good to see all of you here present in the house of the Lord, in the garage of the Lord. <laughs> um, God is good. Um, today we're going to continue the work series that we've been talking about. And before I start, I just want to thank you all for your support, your love, the prayers that you have given for this church. I do believe that God is with us, and we're just so thankful for your support. Um, but so far, as we've been talking in this series, work has been very uh, glamorized. It's a, something that we've been talking as something that is very good, um, part of paradise. But we all know that the work that we do every day might not feel like creation work. It doesn't feel like we are pushing forward the creation project. It doesn't feel like we are commissioned to do the same work that Adam and Eve had. With work and even doing what we feel like we're called to do, there's confusion, there's disappointment, there's toil, there's uncertainty. It doesn't always feel like we are blessed, that we were made to work. Everyone knows that this is a broken world, and part of the reason we live in a, a broken world is because of the story that we will be reading today. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 3. I was going to read the entire chapter, but Elida discouraged me to do that. Uh, she told me, don't read it all, because... For the previous three services, two services, we've been reading the entire chapter. <laughs> yes, I, I asked her, I was like, hey, should I read the entire chapter again, or is it too much? She was like, ah, maybe read a couple verses instead. <laughs> okay. Like, don't let her say otherwise, all right? <laughs> Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Okay, so Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Um, and it, it goes like this. And then we'll read Genesis 3, 13 to 19. But Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it. Or touch it, or you will die. Verse 4. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, 
God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delighted to look at it, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then go down to verse 13. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband. Yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And with that read, let us all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for bringing us together. And I pray today, while we look at the fall, Lord, that we may consider how the fall relates to our work and even how we pursue our dream job, Lord. I pray that we may do your will, that we may See how we are connected to the stories of Scripture. And I pray that we may do your will through your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen a beautiful picture of peace and harmony, of shalom. We saw that in Genesis. Things were as they should be. Everything in its place. God did things perfectly, beautifully. And he made humans to help cultivate the earth and continue this creation project. Continue working, and work during that time was really just gardening, as multiplying, and as being creative with the raw material that God had given us. And in Genesis 2, we read something interesting. Humans were not ashamed. They were naked and unashamed. They worked and weren't embarrassed. They loved and weren't humiliated. And then we also see God put a tree and essentially said, I want you to do something for me. Not because you understand why. Not because you can see whether it would benefit you or disadvantage you. I want you to obey me simply because you love me. And trust me more than anything. So by not eating from the tree, 
The humans had this opportunity to obey him for him out of love, not because they, they saw that it would benefit them, but just because they loved God and trusted him. But a serpent entered Eden's shalom. From Genesis 3, we know that he was formed like all the other animals, but he was prudent. The ancient Israelites, they would have seen the serpent as something that we could call a chaos creature. A creature from tohu vavohu, from chaos. A creature who, who is part of the created world, but is also not part of the created world. It's something strange, something threatening, and he was prudent. The word that the Bible uses, the Hebrew word that it uses to describe the serpent is Adam. Adam. And it means prudent, it means crafty, it means wise. And this prudent serpent, he went to the humans who we read they were naked. And what's interesting is that the word for naked in Hebrew is this word called Adam meme. So it's very similar. So this Adam serpent, he went to the, the humans who were Adamim, who were naked. And he tempted the Adamim humans. And somehow the serpent communicated with the humans. An animal talking to humans. And, and this talk led to everything that is wrong today. What went wrong in Eden? When did things go wrong? Was it when the woman listened to the serpent? Was it when she added an extra command to God's command? God never said that you can't touch the tree. He just said you can't eat from the tree. Was it when she lusted for the wisdom of the fruit, when the serpent said you'll become like God and you'll here and you'll be able to know evil and good. Was it when she took the fruit of the tree? Was it when she ate from it? Or when the man who was standing there the entire time and he did nothing and just ate the fruit afterwards and followed along? We don't have to ponder. God tells us in Genesis 3.17 what went wrong. He told the dirtling, Adam, because you, Adam, listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree which I commanded you. That's what went wrong. The, the dirtling, the man, listened to his wife who was listening to the voice of the serpent. What's the problem? The problem is that humans listened to the wrong voice. Humans listened to the voice of the serpent, a creature, an animal, something humans were supposed to exert authority over. They were supposed to listen to the voice of God and exert authority over the animals, but instead they submit themselves to the serpent. They put themselves under the serpent. They listen to the serpent by eating from the tree of knowledge. And therefore they disobeyed God by failing to work to cultivate and partner with him. And because the first humans, the Adomim, the naked humans, listened to the Adam serpent, because the naked humans listened to the clever serpent, the humans looked at their Adomim, looked 
at their nakedness. When the, when the humans listened to the clever serpent, they looked at their nakedness, and instead of feeling honored and being unashamed, when they listened to the serpent, the humans became ashamed. They, they were ashamed. Ashamed of their nakedness. God said, who told you that you were naked? Who shamed you? God doesn't want to shame you. He wants you to be covered, to be strong, to be confident. But when you hear the voice of the serpent, you become shamed. Even when God has made you honorable. What voices are you listening to? Are you listening to godly voices, following what God has said, flourishing in life as God has designed you to flourish? Or are you listening to the serpent? Do you know that you are honorable? Or do you feel shame? Maybe you feel shame because you are listening to the wrong voices. God created this world. He knows how things work. And it makes sense. Humans should follow God. He has the answers. Be fruitful, multiply, and listen to God. But our world has competing voices. And we should be selective with which ones we will listen to. Remember, the evil that we see today, it's all because humans listened to the wrong And was the voice of the serpent incorrect or inaccurate? Did the serpent lie? He said that the humans wouldn't die, that the humans' eyes would open, and that the humans would be like God. The humans didn't die immediately when they ate the fruit. They lived afterwards for a long time. And yeah, the the human's eyes were open. They were able to see that they were naked and they even became ashamed. And look in Genesis 3.22. God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. The humans did become like God. So no, the serpent did not lie. Everything the serpent said happened. And here's something to note. Just because someone is saying what will happen, just because they have accurate knowledge, this does not mean that we will listen to them. Having understanding like the serpent does not mean that we need to listen to them. Listen to God. Discern. Hear God's voice. Not just the accurate voice, but the right voice. The voices we listen to will determine how well we build God's kingdom. In work, the primary voice we should listen to is God's voice. The Bible is full of people listening to the wrong voices. The children of Adam, Cain and Abel. Cain, instead of listening to God's warning, listened to his own voice. And his own voice led him to murder his own brother. People hear the wrong voice today, and because of that, 
the blood of the innocent cries from the dirt. God told Cain that he heard the voice, the cry of the blood of Abel, the blood that Cain had shed. And by listening to the wrong voice today, the earth cries with the blood of the innocent. We contaminate this earth. And maybe that's why God said that because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you to not eat, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Thorns and thistles. Work in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, was not hard. It was work on good ground. Work on this side of the garden is hard work. There are thorns and thistles that are not part of God's plan, but part of our fall. Work became hard work. Work was easy in the sacred place of Eden, but now there's difficulties. There's confusion. There's uncertainty. There's thistles and thorns. It's important to note that God never cursed work. He cursed the ground, but not work. Work is a blessing. And it keeps being a blessing. But work does become hard because we contaminate the earth. When the earth is cursed, we, we now feel fatigued because of work. We feel burnt out. We feel back pain. We feel exhaustion. We feel that we need ibuprofen and Tylenol. We need to be careful of breaking ethical codes because of this fallen world. We need to be careful with greed, with waste, with even poverty is a problem now, and so is injustice, all because we listen to the wrong voices and because the earth is now cursed. The ground is cursed. The curse is what causes us to feel like we always need to be on a vacation, not working. Because of the curse, work can be dehumanizing. Working all day without living to just get enough food to survive. Working at a factory or an assembly line without any say, no sense of pride of the work that we do. We're disconnected from the product. We feel like a living machine looking at the clock, just ticking and talking. And for what? Just to stay in the middle class or to just barely make it. And all of this is because of the curse, the horrible curse. Things are not how they are supposed to be. Bad stuff is taking place, taking place within labor ethics, within bad wages, child labor, human trafficking, and the growing gap between the rich and the poor. All this is because of the curse. Now, 70%, 70% of Americans are not engaged or actively engaged or actively disengaged with their work. 70% 
of Americans wake up and think, I got to do something else, or only a couple days until the weekend. The curse. We have a curse in our hearts. We listen to the wrong voices. There is an interesting story that focuses on the Tower of Babel. And we got to thank Luis for this beautiful Tower of Babel. It looks pretty good. <laughs> uh, we were just like drawing our, the tower like this. And I'm like, oh, that is, we could do better. But yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty good. But in this story with the Tower of Babel, humans were spreading out, filling the earth as they were supposed to. But then they started to make bricks. They got brand new technology. They could now build cheaper, faster, and taller. And they said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for, brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Instead of spreading out, they started to stick together and build a tower. A tower for their own name, for their own name. Their own name. A tower to reach the heavens. They were trying to reach for God. They were building this tower for pseudo-spirituality, for a sense of meaning and purpose that can only be found in God himself, but they did it without God. There is a fly, and hopefully it flies away. But um, they did it for themselves. They were trying to find meaning apart from God. They tried to build this apart from God. They tried to get to heaven, trying to find spirituality on their own. And they did it for their own name. They did it for their own identity and status. We might look at this, wow, the, these people are fools. They're trying to go to heaven by themselves without God. But, but are we any better? Are we any different? We are always trying to make our name better by ourselves, for ourselves. We separate our work from God, then works, work becomes a sort of God in and of itself. It's workaholism, workaholism. I've been accused of this myself. Work can be like an addictive drug. Even if it's hard and difficult and frustrating at times, you get that rush of accomplishment and accumulation. When you finish a job, finish a day of hard work, you're like, I did it. I feel good. And you want to do it again. Or maybe even a paper that you had to write for school and you finish it. And I was like, I got to do it again and again. And it's not bad per se. But when you credit just yourself and not God, you're just like the builders of the Tower of Babel. You are building another foot higher of your own Tower of Babel. Technology makes it easier to become a work addict. Just grab your phone, answer emails, do homework, get stuff done. 
It feels good. But it's wrong apart from God. Workaholism is more than addiction. It's a twisted kind of worship. A search for meaning and purpose in what we do instead of hearing God's voice. You might be doing a good thing. It might be contributing to human flourishing, but you're hearing the wrong voices. And therefore, you're working for the wrong reasons. Are you working for God, for justice, for human flourishment? Or are you doing work for the wrong reasons? Are you working for money, for yourself, for people to think that you're amazing? Remember the original intention of work. Work is an act of worship to God an expression of love and service to the world. After the fall, we have different intentions for work. We think, maybe if I do well here in this job, maybe if I get recognized, then I'll be happy. Then I'll make a name for myself. It's the Tower of Babel all over again. The human quest, build a tower to the heavens. Search for identity and significance in our work or without God. But in reality, it might be the complete opposite for so many of you. Work gives you no significance. Work is just a means to an end. It's something you do so that you can do something else. The goal is to get as much as you can, as much money as you can, with as little effort and energy as possible, so that we can get off work and go play. Instead of finding identity in work, however, you now find it in leisure. You find it in music, in sports, in art. And we look for identity somewhere else outside of work. We want to be part of something. And it's not bad to have this desire since, after all, God put this desire in us. But when we find our identity in our work or in the things we do for fun, Instead of finding our identity in God, we turn music, entertainment, our work into a little G, God. We feel empty, and we aren't happy with ourselves. It's never enough. No vacation is enough, or no high-paying job is enough. No car is enough. Nothing is enough. Look, you should do things you enjoy and get some stuff that you enjoy as well. You should work at a job you enjoy and find fulfilling. You have the opportunity to do that in this day and age. Years ago, you were whatever your parents were. If your parents were farmers, you would be a farmer. If your parents were, were kings, you would be a king. In fact, if you had the last name Smith, it's very likely that your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a blacksmith. Here in America, you have the opportunity to get a job you want. If you lived in Zimbabwe, you wouldn't think of finding a fulfilling job. You would just think about getting the bread, and that's it. But here in the West, we have options. So many options that sometimes it could be paralyzing. What if you picked the wrong job? Well, again, 
Our identity does not come from our work. It comes from God. But here are some wise tips with making decisions that could help us fight the effects of the fall. First of all, recognize that your dreams will probably take longer, way longer than you're expecting. Years, if not decades, of hard work. Including kindergarten, I've been in school for more than 20 years. I probably have six years left. People say it takes 10,000 hours of training to actually become good at something. 10,000 hours. It takes months, years, decades, not just one day to another to achieve your dream. That's not how it works in this world nowadays. Second, don't pride yourself with being the best. Try to be your best self, yes, but be realistic. There will always be somebody better than you who can do your job better. I remember doing martial arts, and my trainer would be frank with me, honest with me. He would always say, there's always going to be someone better than you. And that's true. So all we could do is be ourselves. Be who you are and stop trying to be somebody else. The great American writer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said, To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. To be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Being yourself is an accomplishment. Third, making it, being successful, is never going to be as fulfilling as you thought it would be. It will never satisfy you. You should expect work, yes, it's going to give you some sense of meaning and purpose, but work on cursed ground will always frustrate you. And I I found this insightful, what uh, John Mark Homer said, though, even though work will cause you to become frustrated. John Mark Homer said, I think the curse on the ground is a blessing in camouflage. It's God's love in, dis- in disguise, his mercy incognito. Because the curse drives us to God. If it weren't for the curses, if we never felt like frustrated with work, if we never felt like that work is not giving us meaning. If we always felt that everything went well, if it weren't for the curses on the, on the field, we would look to whatever it is we do for work or rest, and we would find it right away. We would think that we're capable and that it's enough. And nothing could be more disastrous for the world than God's image bearers finding identity and belonging and even satisfaction apart from God. Imagine if you did what you wanted to do, and you did it perfectly, and you felt complete. You would never listen to the voice of God. You would never go to God or partner with him. But these curses, these frustrations within work, reminds us that we need God. And I thank God when work leaves me empty. Because I am reminded that I need 
God to fill me. I need God. I need Him to fill me. I need Him to comfort me. We will fail. And when we fail, God wants us to be reminded that there is this need for us to find comfort in Him, find purpose in Him. Stop running to work or to leisure to find purpose. Run to God. And He doesn't hang back. He doesn't scoff at you. He's not with His arms crossed. No. God went to Adam and Eve after they messed up and all their failures, and he covered them, and he loved them. God was, went to Adam and Eve when they were in their failures and their sin. God, yes, he is at church, but he's also there, present, when you fail. And he's not there condemning you. He's there with his arms open, and he wants you to run to him. He is the loving Father. Luke 15, a story that we all know pretty well, but has been within my heart for the last couple of months. The prodigal son, we know the story. The prodigal son says, I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, the son went up, and went to the father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. That's the God that we serve. And each time that we feel work isn't fulfilling, life may not be fulfilling. What we're doing is is not satisfying us. Run to God, and if you think that you have gone too far away, that, that, you, that you have failed too much, know that God is waiting for you, looking out, waiting for you to come home, and he will run to you and give you a big hug and a big 